Amen. All right. Hey, are they doing a good job up here? Yeah. And can, can we give it up for Mr. Shannon for stepping in while Mr. Chad's out? Thank you, sir. All right. Somebody tell me what book we've been studying. Thank you. I've tried to make it so easy for you guys. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if y'all can grab one from Mr. Corey, if you do not have a Bible, go ahead and grab one back there because you will need it tonight as we are in 1 John. So, y'all ready? Everybody find, hey, has everybody found the book of 1 John? What chapter are we in tonight? Who said five? Good job, yes. 1 John chapter five. Hey guys, we have spent the last eight weeks walking through this book so far, and tonight and this week are gonna be our last two nights. We're gonna finish out with John, 1 John chapter five, and we've covered a lot of stuff in this, but as we walk into tonight's passage, we're gonna be in 1 John five, one through 12, we're gonna to start to see some things repeating, kind of like we've seen the entire book, because there's several different main ideas here. Do you guys remember what the three main ideas are? Truth, obedience, and love. And as we've walked through, we've seen those themes come up over and over again. In fact, here's what you're gonna to see tonight. I'm gonna to go ahead and give you the three points for tonight, you ready? It's love leads to obedience. Obedience is a result of truth, and truth requires a response. So we see all three of those, truth, love, and obedience, walking through just these 12 verses. So let's walk through the questions. If you've not been here before, when we study a book of the Bible, we need to cover some basic information so you know kind of who wrote this, when did they write it, what was going on. So I ask these questions every week. If you know the answers, shout them out. If you don't know the answers, move your mouth and everybody will think you're shouting out anyway, and you'll be fine, okay? So the book of 1 John, who wrote it? John! Allegedly, okay. So. If you go and look, the book of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, they're actually written anonymously. So they're accredited to John because when you look at the writing style and you look at the phrases and the theology that he talks about in here, it's very similar to the book of John and the other book that he wrote. What was it? Revelation. Revelation. Okay. So all five of those books are credited to John as writing them. When do we believe it was written? 90 to 95 AD, who did he write the book to? Believers. Believers, to the church, okay? Now, why did he write this book? To warn and encourage. Do you remember what he was trying to warn them about? False teachers. False teachers. Does anybody know the, the belief system they think he was writing against? No, go ahead and explain it. Please explain it. So, like, it was bad because um, they thought, like, of course, spirit was good, flesh bad, right? So, which wouldn't make any sense because, as we all know, Jesus was a man, and if they're in the belief system and flesh is bad, then that means, you know, Jesus couldn't have been a man and died, you know, and then came back to life, as we believe, right? That's like this. That's right. Um, yeah, y'all give him a hand. He's right on it. Yeah, it's, hey guys, if you if you believe that belief system, no, don't get out. No, we want you here if you believe that. But here's how that works: if if the physical is bad and the spirit is good, 
there were people that were taking that to the extreme and they said, well, if the physical is bad, then there's no way Jesus could have had a physical body. And if Jesus didn't have a physical body, then there's no way he actually sacrificed his life on the cross for us. So it messes with the entire being of who Jesus is. And there were others who believed in that same system that Jesus was just a man. At his baptism, he received the, the person of Jesus into him, the Holy Spirit. It was all one thing. And, and he became the God-man during that time. And then right before he died, right before he was crucified, God's presence left his life and he was just a man again. Which again means there was actually no atonement for our sin. There was no sacrifice made on our behalf. So that's why he's warning them against this type of belief system. Because if you buy into that belief system, then Jesus died for nothing. Or he didn't really die at all. Which means we're all wasting our time because nothing can save us from our own sin. So that's why he's warning them, but he's encouraging them. As he's warning them, he's saying, hey, these are the things you do need to focus on. You need to focus on the truth of what God's word says. You need to focus on the obedience that God calls us to that truth. And you need to focus on the love that we're supposed to have for God and have for other believers the way he talks about in here. So let's jump into it tonight. We're going to be 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Where's Miss Corbin Ross? She's going to come up here and read for us tonight. Come on up here, Miss Corbin. And I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Come on up. Come on up. Come on. Wherever you want to stand up here. Wherever. Let me give you that. Can you hold that and read, or you want me to hold that? You got it? All right. She's going to read 1 John 5, 1 through 12 for us. Everyone who, oh gosh, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, and that we keep His commandments, and that His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water, but not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has been born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar, because he, does, he has not believed the test, in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And, that, and this is the testimony that God gives us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. All right, let's pray. Let's pray, guys. God, again, we thank you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight, Lord. Uh, again, we pray that we'll be different because we've been in your word tonight and we've been in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now y'all give it up for Ms. Corbin. Thank you. 
All right, so the very first thing we see here in verse one is we see that first sentence, that love leads to obedience. Let me read verse one again. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So we see right here that that theme of love is coming back. We've seen it over and over and over. In fact, John talked a lot about it in the last chapter, this idea of love, the idea that if you say you love God, then you have a responsibility to love other believers, other people who say they love God. It's not an option for us. We don't have a choice there. But the love that he's talking about, let's, let's not be confused. It's not the kind of love that we use a lot in our society. Because let's be real, our society tends to treat love kind of like an accessory that you can put on or you can take off at will. Hey, I love this person one day. I hate this person the next day. We're not talking about like a Taylor Swift lyric type of love. Yeah, I just went there. It's true. That's not, that's not. Some of y'all are like, how dare you? But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, guys is not a love that is convenient and based on emotion or situation. Hey, we're talking about a choice to love no matter what. Scripture uses the word agape when it talks about this type of love. This, this is a love that comes from God, that God has for his children, for disciples of Jesus, and that his children, disciples of Jesus, have for him. It's a love of choice not a love out of ab obligation. You guys have heard me use that phrase before. You don't fall in love, you fall in a ditch. You choose who you love. You make a choice. I am going to love this person no matter what. And that's, that, that's a, a, a sad picture or a bad example, the best one I can come up with, of how God loves us. He has chosen to love us no matter what. In fact, in the original language, that type of agape love this, this, this word is used more in the book of 1 John than any other book in the New Testament when he's talking about love. And that's the love he's been talking about for this entire book as we've gone through it. It's an intentional, wholehearted commitment that you are going to love and care about the people around you because they have also put faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you're only able to do that because of the fact that God has loved you first. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, you are incapable of expressing that kind of love because you've never experienced it. But the moment that you do, the moment that you understand you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, and Jesus is the only one that offers salvation, forgiveness for your sin, the moment you accept that and the moment you trust him, scripture tells us in that moment, you understand that agape love because you know what it is to be forgiven and you know what it is to be held by God, never to be let go. And when you experience that, you can turn around and show that same love towards God and show that same love towards other people because it transforms you. That's a transformational love. And as your life is transformed by that love, it leads you to a life of obedience to God. Not obedience because you have to, but obedience because you want to because of the love that you have for him. Look at what it says there in verse two. It says, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. 
When you experience that agape love, you begin to have a desire to, to reciprocate, to return that love towards God and towards other believers. And your love for God is shown through your obedience to God. We walked through that when we walked through chapter 2 of this book. If you guys remember, we kind of broke it down this way. When you're little, you obey your parents because you have to. Because if you don't, you're going to get in trouble, right? Or you're going to get something taken away. As you get a little bit older, you begin to obey your parents because you have a benefit from it. Because you realize, hey, if I'm obedient, then I get allowance or I get extra privileges or I get TV time or tablet time or whatever it is. You start to obey because there's a benefit for you. But at some point, hopefully in your life, you begin to obey because you want to because you know how much your parents love you and you love them and you want to express that love so you begin to live in obedience to them by choice. And if it's true for your parents, who while they love you with everything they have, it, it is an imperfect love. If it's true for them, how much more true is it for God who loves you with agape love, perfect love, love that never fails. And obedience to God then leads to being, the, uh, leads to us loving other people. Because he said right there, as we show our love for God and we live in obedience to him, it leads us to love others. And that cycle goes around and around and around. Your obedience leads you to love others. Your love of others shows your obedience and your love for God. And then look at what he says in verse 3. For this is the love of God. Again, it's the obedience that we keep his what? Commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now let's stop there for a second. It says his commandments are not burdensome. To the people who have never experienced the love of God, this book right here is a big list of rules things you're not allowed to do, things that society would tell you you should be able to do. And I'm just going to read some of the things I wrote down. What people who don't know the love of God would look at this book and say is you, you, you can't do whatever you want to and with your own body because of this book. Or you can't say and think whatever you feel like whenever you want because of the rules in this book. Or you have to go to church. You have to tithe. You have to treat other people as more important than yourself because of this book. And if you don't know the love of God, then yeah, that does sound burdensome. What do you mean I can't do what I want to do? What do you mean I can't think and I can't say what I want to think? What do you mean I have to go to church? Why do I have to give money to church? Why do I have to help other people? Why? But when you know the love of God, when you've experienced salvation and you've experienced agape love, God's commands are not a list of don'ts. There's freedom there. You can honor God with your body. You can say the things that encourage and build other people up. You can focus your thoughts on the one that brings life. You get to go to church and you get to be with people that are going to encourage you. You get to help contribute in some small way to the mission of God right here where you live, right now and around the world. You get to serve others. Do you see the difference in the viewpoint? 
When we don't know God's love, it's all about me, it's all about I, and I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, how I want to do it. But when you understand the love of God, it's not about me anymore. It's not about I anymore. Now it's about God, and it's about His creation. It's about other people. And we get to be a part of what God is doing. So this obedience to God that John is talking about, it comes out of a love for God and a desire to please Him because God's commandments, God's directives, God's direction that He gives us in here, this is not burdensome. In fact, Jesus said that. In the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you're following Jesus Christ, when your relationship is secure in him, this is not a book of rules of things you can't do. This is a book of freedom. Because it shows you how you can serve God. And it shows you how you can serve others. And the things that you get to do on a daily basis. You get to be a part of what God is doing right here in Camden County on a regular basis. And that's why we understand that love leads to obedience. And obedience is a result of truth. Look at verse 4. It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, remember, when we talked about this phrase earlier in the book, as we walked through it, we, we talked about the phrase of the world. Do you guys remember what John's talking about here? We're not talking about God's creation. We're not talking about other people. Do you remember what he's talking about? Anybody. No? Okay, good. We'll cover it again. So when he's talking about the world, he's talking about a systematic way of thinking. It's a worldview. It's the way that you look at everything. And the, what he's talking about here is the way of the world is a way that doesn't honor God with your life. It's you as an individual living for you doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, and not really being concerned about anybody else, much less concerned about God. That's what he's talking about here when he says the world. And then when he says, you know, we, we've overcome the world, it means that your focus is no longer all about you. It means your focus is now about God. Your life is not about you. Your daily routine is not about you. It's about who God has created you to be and what God has called you to do. John is talking about living in obedience to God's word in spite of what your mind and your body wants to do on its own. Paul talks about the whole flesh versus the spirit. It's knowing what you should do and what you want to do for God and yet still being drawn to what you want to do for yourself. John is saying, when you've overcome the world, you're drawn toward what you want to do for God. There's a battle there, but it tells us that that battle is not one that we have to lose every single day, even though we're tempted to give in, because we're focused on who God has called us to be, and we are able to do that as we understand the truth of God's Word. You can't live in obedience to God's Word if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
Think about that for a second. You can't live in obedience to God's word if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't have the willpower to do it. You will fail. I will fail every single day. It takes a saving relationship, this faith that he talks about right here. It's not just having faith in something. I have faith that when I start my truck, it's going to get me from here to home tonight. I have faith that if I need my family's help, they're going to show up. I can have faith in a million different things, but not one of those things is going to save my soul and forgive me of my sin. The faith he's talking about is faith in Jesus Christ, and that is the truth of Scripture. And that truth requires a response. When you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you understand his word, you have to make a choice. You say, well, I don't want to make a choice. Well, in not making a choice, guess what? You've made a choice. Look at what he says here in verse 6. He says, this is how, or this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now that starts to sound a little confusing, but he's talking about the truth of Jesus. Let, let's, let's break this down a little bit. So Jesus' public ministry, does anybody remember when that began for him? Where? At his age, yes. But what, what event started his public ministry? His baptism. The water. Jesus' public ministry started when he was baptized. So when it says right there, the evidence of the water, it's there that he was publicly declared by the voice of God, by the visible Holy Spirit descending on him, that he was the Son of God. That was the beginning of his public ministry. There's a witness right there. When did his public ministry end? Well, physically it did. When? What's that? Technically before that. When did it end the first time? When he died. When he hung on a cross. That's exactly what you were going to say, right? That's it. And when he died, he bled. Scripture tells us that it was his blood, it was the spilling of his blood that paid the penalty, it was the sacrifice for our sin. You've got the water and you've got the blood. Those things testify to who Jesus is. It was there on the cross that he hung there and he said, it is finished. The water and the blood bear witness to the physical incarnation of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Remember that Gnosticism belief we talked about where people said, hey, physical is bad, spirit is good, so Jesus never had a physical body? Well, that right there tells us, yes, he did. He absolutely did. They bear witness that he was who he said he was. They were an outward testimony to the deity and the humanity of Jesus. That is, some people will use the phrase, the God-man. 
That's who Jesus was, and we see evidence of that. And then you've got what he talks about here is the Spirit of God bearing witness as well. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, what comes and lives in our life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus is an internal witness, an internal evidence that Jesus has done what he said he would do. That's why in verse 7 it talks about the fact that there's three witnesses that testify to who Jesus is. It's the water and the blood and the spirit. In the Old Testament, and this is why this matters here, in the Old Testament, for something to be valued as true, the law required that there had to be at least two to three witnesses to verify whatever story was being told. In fact, back in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, it says this, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So John is actually saying, hey, you know what? Even if you hold to the Old Testament requirement that there's got to be two or three witnesses, Jesus has that. He's got his baptism. He's got his death. And you've got the Holy Spirit. There are three witnesses that testify that he is who he said he is. And he did what he said he did. The water and the blood, they are witnesses to the reality that Jesus stepped into humanity. And the Spirit is a witness to the truth that he stays with us. And then John goes on in verse 9. He says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. He says, if we will accept somebody's testimony, if you ever go to court, if you ever have to happen to be in an auto accident or anything like that, they always try to find witnesses, people who can tell what happened. And in fact, in some cases, they'll bring in what they call an expert witness, somebody who's got a lot of experience in a certain area, somebody who can give detailed information that nobody else would know unless they really know what they're talking about. And John is saying, hey, if you're willing to trust that, how much more can you trust the one that created everything you're talking about? How much more can you trust the one that created the one that you're trusting? He says, you've got these things that bear witness to who Jesus is. And if you trust the testimony of people, how much more can you trust the testimony of the God whose character, whose integrity, whose righteousness never changes and never fails? We have to trust that. And then he goes on in verse 10. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning himself. Truth requires a response. If you hear who God is, if you see the testimony, if you understand the evidence that is in this book about who Jesus is and what he has done, then you know what the truth is and it requires a response. There, there, is no, there is no neutrality. There is either belief in this or unbelief. This is true or this is not true. You don't get to ride the fence. It requires a response. You either accept the evidence or you don't. And he finishes in the last two verses. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life 
is his, in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So in these 12 verses, love leads to obedience. Obedience is a result of truth. And truth requires a response. First two of those depend on your decision about the third. So the question I have for you is, what is your response to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because you don't get to be neutral. Scripture tells us he gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins. He offers us forgiveness in the moment that we understand what he did. He offers us forgiveness in the moment that we cry out him and and tell him words like God I'm a sinner there's no magic words these are the words I'm using God I'm a sinner God, I can't forgive myself God I need you to forgive me I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sin I know he rose from the grave and I want to pursue you with the rest of my life you can use your own words but scripture says you admit that you're a sinner you believe that Jesus did what he said he did and you confess him as Lord of your life and you pursue him with everything you have from that moment forward. Scripture tells us when you understand the truth, the evidence that is here, and you believe that, you will be saved. And you will belong to God from that moment on, and nothing can take you out of his hand. But if you hear that tonight and you say, you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I believe that, so I'm going to wait I'm going to dig a little bit more. Then you've made a choice. You've made a choice for unbelief. It doesn't mean you can't keep searching. It doesn't mean you should stop asking questions because you should ask all the questions you have. But sometimes we can get caught up in asking so many questions and trying to figure out all the details. Guess what? You will never completely figure out God. That's why John calls it faith because it means you have to trust even when you don't have the answers. You have to trust because it's true. And if you're not sure, ask people around you that you know trust. Ask them to share with you how God has proven himself to be true over and over and reliable and righteous and just and his integrity over and over that God is who he says he is. God has done what he said he will do and he will never fail just like we sang about a few minutes ago. So the question is, what's your response tonight? You've heard the truth. You've heard what God asks of you. How will you respond? If you're here tonight and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. Again, those words aren't magic. You talk to God with your words. But I want to encourage you, if you do make that choice tonight, let one of your friends or let one of the other adults in this room know so that they can pray for you and they can pray with you. Because I promise you, it's a celebration that we have when someone makes that decision. Because that makes us children of God together and now you're not figuring this thing out on your own you're doing it with a room full of people that love you and will encourage you as you pursue Christ with the rest of your life let's pray God we thank you we thank you for who you are
We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together and trust you. God, I pray that you help every single one of us to know the truth of what your word says, Lord, to live in obedience because we've experienced the love that you give us. God, help us to share that love with others. God, I pray for every single person. I don't know what each person's response is to the truth of your word. God, if there's anybody in here tonight that has never put their faith and trust in you, God, I pray that you will help them to see your love right here, right now. Help them to trust you. And God, for those in this room that have already made that decision, but they've been struggling with that love and struggling with that obedience, God, I pray that you'll remind them that they can do what you've called them to do because of your love in their life. Help every one of us to live obediently to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.